Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. Now then, today I want to speak to you from 1 John chapter 5. In a moment, I'm going to have you stand for a brief scripture, and uh, I'm going to ask you to remain standing, and we're going to sing one verse of one of the greatest hymns that was ever written that puts everything into context as to what it means to know that you know that your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. As I read this scripture and as I preach to you today, I'm aware that man through religion is confused in many situations. No longer do most people look to what does the Bible say, but rather what does my group say? And because of that, we have brought into the most important area of our life. And that is, do we know that we know that we have blessed assurance that Jesus is ours? That he didn't die for just the world, he died for you. And you have invited him to come into your life. Mohammed, or Buddha said, Buddha said, I'm looking for truth. Mohammed said, I come to point people to the truth. Jesus came and said, I am the truth. Big, big difference. Now, having full understanding as I preach this sermon that there's many different opinions, and my opinion means absolutely nothing. But if God says it, that settles it. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And he didn't put it out there and say, well, I hope you find it somewhere, so good luck to you. He said, I'm just going to put it in my word. So the wonderful nine-year-old, like sitting here now in the front row that was baptized a while ago, gave his heart to Jesus. He, he knows what he did. You can know what you're doing, and you can be a 50, 60, 70 years old. But I want you to listen very carefully to the scripture this morning. Again, the the message is entitled, Are You Sure That You're Sure? If somebody asked you, if you died today, do you know you'd go to heaven? Would it insult you or would it give you a chance to say, You bet I do, thanks to Calvary. Can you believe people get offended when you ask them that question? Have you given your heart to Jesus? Are you a child of the King? Are you an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ? Well, that's our world. Now, this is not to put down anybody in this message. It's simply to give very clearly to you 10 things real quick. These 10 things are true in your life if, if you're born again. Otherwise, you're a religious person, a good person. You try to do your best. You're hoping. You're praying. I don't know for sure. In fact, you get insulted if somebody asks you, do you know that you know? You say, nobody knows that they know. Yes. Those know that they know if they know they've done what Jesus said and the signs are there that it happened in their life. So would you stand and we're going to read the scripture and then would you remain standing one verse of that great song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And Brother Bill will lead us in the singing of that great song. One verse. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe 
on the name of the Son of God. Listen to verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Christ Jesus. This is a true God and eternal life. Now, if you can sing this song, sing it. If you say, I really can't say blessed assurance, listen to the words. I hope when the service is over, you can sing it too. I want you to listen very closely. The sermon has 10 points, but I promise you they will be very brief. I want you to write them down if you cannot remember them. I want you to share them with others that might ask you the question, how can you know that you've been born again, that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you have been saved, redeemed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? There are 10 questions that I ask over and over and over in my own heart and mind to myself to remind me of what a blessed thing it is to not only be saved, but to know that you're saved. That when you hear the bad news, you know the good news. When you hear what's going on temporarily, you know what's going to happen eternally. It is a peace that passes all understanding. It's far beyond anything any religion can offer you. To know that you know for sure Jesus is mine. Number one, if you're a born-again believer, there has been a definite change in your life. Here's the question. Have you experienced in your life a definite change? change since the moment that you said I became a Christian or is your story I was baptized or I joined the church or I started doing religious things was there a change here's the scripture 2nd Corinthians 5 17 listen therefore if any man be in Christ if any man be in Christ he is a new creature old things are passed away all things are become new. Did that ever happen to you? Or was it a little fuzzy feeling one day when you signed a card or maybe even said a prayer that somebody asked you to pray? But Monday, the same, same sins, same temptations, same lack of power over those temptations. There's nothing you could point to and say, this is the evidence that I'm a Christian. The, the question is very simple. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you in a court of law? If you're saved, there would be plenty of evidence for the court, the jury, the judge to say, absolutely positive. You're guilty. You're a child of God. You're an heir of God. You're a born-again Christian. Have you ever experienced a definite change in your life? Now, if that is true, you can ask yourself the, the second question. Do you desire, above all else, God's will for your life? Are you to that moment, because you are a born-again Christian, you can say, I really desire God's will, not my dreams, my aspirations, I am not trying to focus on my career. I want to know God's will for my life. 
I want to do and be what God wants me to do and who God wants me to be. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. One of the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain. You see, you do not care how much money you make. You do not care how many people want your autograph. You do not care how happy you are and how much you are excited at the party. What you want to know is, I know that I am in the will of God for my life right now. I can look myself in the mirror and say, as much as in me is, I am trying to obey him day by day. I am eager to know his word. You know the reason a lot of people that say they're Christian never read the Bible? Because they don't want the Bible to remind them who they are in Jesus Christ because they'll have to change 90% of the way they live. Their only day to be somewhere close is when they go to church on Sunday. They hear God's name praised and they're damning God's name on Monday. They're talking about others on Sunday and it's back to me and mine on Monday. There's absolutely nothing there that would be like Jesus because the Bible says as he is, so we're to be in this life. Now let me ask you this one. Does the Lord discipline you when you misbehave, when you sin? For a lot of you, it, this does not make quite the same sense as it does to those that were raised in homes where there was dis they were disciplined in the home. They went to school when there was discipline in the school. My question is, have you been living in sin for 20 years and so far things just keep getting better and better? I'm just as good as the next guy. Matter of fact, I'm just as good as that guy that goes down there to church. That's the reason I don't go down there to church with him because I know what he's like on Monday through Saturday. I hunt with him, fish with him, play golf with him, work with him, go to the cafe with him. I mean, I know what it's like. Let me tell you something. Once you become a born-again Christian, you've enjoyed the last sin in your life. Amen. You hear what I said? You have enjoyed the last sin in your life. And if the Lord does not discipline you, it's a pretty good sign that you're not his child because the Bible is very clear. Listen to Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with his sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you illegitimate and not sons. That's what God's word says. If you can live your life in sin, you don't get caught. You've been this way for years. You wouldn't want anybody to pull up the records on your computer. You've always been able to slip by. You have every right to question whether you have ever been born again. Because when you're born again, you hate sin because sin nailed Jesus to the cross. And you never want, you never want. Yes, you will sin, but you will not enjoy it and you'll want to confess it, repent of it, and turn and come back into the sweet fellowship of the Lord. Amen. You don't have to go out the back door when God comes in the front door. If you've been born again. Now this may be the toughest of all. Has the world lost its hold on you? 
Has the world lost its hold on you? 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Listen to Colossians 3, 2. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. The question is, has the world lost its hold on you? Now be honest about this. When you make up your mind what you're going to do, how much does the world pull you away from the things of God? How many people do you think had rather go be spectators or participators in entertainment? And if anything out there in that secular world of entertainment is there, you're drawn to it. You wouldn't dare miss the latest movie out of Hollywood, but missing church is routine. And you don't really worry about it because you can go up and say, I'm going to grade on the curve and I'm there about 50% of the time and that's better than most of the folks in the church because I heard the preacher say that 35% that, uh, of the people don't come ever. So I'm sure doing better than them. You won't be graded on the curve, trust me. Amen. Has the world lost its hold on you? How easy is it for you to turn away from the things of this world that are drawing you and drawing a civilization away from the teaching of the Word of God? Are you sure that you're sure you're saved? Or would you honestly say, you know what? When it comes to the ten things I like to do the most, if the church gets number eight, they're doing pretty good. Because I'm pretty busy and I'm pretty important and I got a business to run and I just want to make sure that all of the folks that know me know that I'm one of them. Or can you come out from among them and be separate? Not with your nose up high. There are so many folks that have come into the, into the pharisaical religion, they think they're better than everybody else. And they, they, they make you want to throw up and they do the same thing for God. He can't stand them either. But you know when you're saved, God has a preeminence. The Bible says he's to have the preeminence in all things. Many of us have lived back in the days and, and we're not, we, we were not on the ark when Noah was there, okay. But we got a few more years than some other folks. But I can remember the days when nobody would have any kind of a thing for kids on a Wednesday night or a Sunday or a Sunday afternoon because they knew good and well that all the Christian people were not going to let their kids participate. I can remember that very, very well. And you know who did the changing? They did the changing. They did the changing. But one day it came along, no, this is more important. I think it's more important if my kid gets a base hit than if he gets born again at the age of nine, like this young man. It's just the way it is. I know it's getting real quiet in here, and probably some have turned the television off by now. But I'm here to tell you, folks, without any reservation, if the world still has a hold of you and he doesn't have preeminence, you better stop and ask yourself the question, am I sure that I'm sure that Jesus is all the world to me? That's all I'm saying. Your call. Your decision, my responsibility is just to deliver it. I'm just a delivery boy. I don't own the printing company. I just am to deliver the message. All right, number five. Has the Bible taken on new meaning for you? Do you still run around and say, oh, I know I'm a Christian. I just don't even understand the Bible, though. I just don't understand it. 
Does it have new meaning to you? In other words, if God's word says this is wrong, if it says this is wrong, then is it wrong? Are you praying about whether it's wrong? Or you want to discuss it with some of your Christian friends whether it's wrong? And you want to read so-and-so's book who's a Ph.D. in theology? Or if God says it, does that settle it? Does the Bible have new meaning? It's not just 66 books that have been put together that are good books, but, mm, you know, a few things in there probably go back to the times and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Does the Bible have new meaning? 1 John 2.20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. This is God's Word, written by the Holy Spirit. God spoke through the Holy Spirit, who spoke to men who wrote the Scripture, 40 different individuals. Number six, do you enjoy being with other Christians? Do you enjoy being with other Christians? Is church more exciting than a Super Bowl party? Is church more important to you and the people of God than any group that you can get with? Here's what it says in 1 John 3, 14. We know that we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. See, the scripture says that if we are born again, then we are a peculiar people. We're a holy priesthood, the Bible says, and we're a peculiar people. I mean, we pray, maybe, when we, before we eat. Maybe nothing there is intoxicating for a beverage. Can you imagine such a party? Can you imagine such a party where the conversations are healthy and holy and wholesome and encouraging, and there is sharing, one hurts, Others hurt, one's rejoicing, others rejoice. The Bible says if you're born again, you know that you've passed from death into life and you enjoy being around your brother and sister Christians. Number seven, if you're sure you're sure, answer this question. Do you want to be free from temptation? You know, a lot of folks say as long as I get tempted, I can go so far, and then I can tell people, well, I was just tempted, but I stopped. I didn't go all the way, you know, just stop. Do you wish you could be free from temptation? Listen to 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seeds remain in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. God's Word tells us that when temptation comes, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we cannot keep ourselves from being tempted. We can, though, change the fact and yield not to temptation. Trials dark on every hand, and we cannot always understand all the ways that God leads us to that blessed promised land. But can you honestly say... I wished I could be free. Some of the things, I mentioned one last week, I could give you a whole list because I've dealt with situations like this all my life. You know one of the best ways to stop a whole lot of temptations is stay away from where you know they're going to come. Just that simple. There's some parties you just don't need to go to. I'm sorry, there's some television programs you don't need to watch. 
I, I'm sorry, but I'm telling you there's some movies you don't need to see. I'm telling you there's some groups you need to come apart from and be separate. If you stay away from the temptation, it's a whole lot easier to stay away from the sin. There's certain people when you're around, they help you. There is strength in numbers. We're like a bunch of snowflakes. If we all come together, enough snowflakes, they can stop a freight train. You get enough Christians together, we can stand against the evil one. We encourage one another. But you see, when we get out there and we're all by ourselves, that's when we have some real serious problems. Now, let me give you number eight. Do you expect your prayers to be answered? If you're a Christian, you do. You do. 1 John 3, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. God answers prayer. Yes, no, later, and you've got to be kidding. <laughs> but he answers prayer. Now, unbelievers say, God didn't answer my prayer. Believers say, I know God answered mine. And you know what he said? No. <laughs> no, no, you don't understand, preacher. My prayer is not answered until I get what I ask. No, your prayer is answered when the Heavenly Father says, no good thing will I withhold from you, but I'll withhold all the bad things from you I possibly can. Many of you have heard me say this before. About an 84-year-old lady gave me that one. I used to say, you know, that God says yes, no, and later. She's the one who gave me the, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> well, no, I came up with that, but she came and approached me about that. And she had her glasses around her neck on a chain, you know, and she held them out here, and she said, and I was a young man at that time, and she said, young man, she said, I did not appreciate what you said today. You said that my God, you know, let me tell you something about this. That's another thing about people always talking about my God, my God, my God. My, it's not your God. He's Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He's our God. Amen. You don't have a corner on him. So don't think you're going to write his theology. But anyway, she said, you know, my God would never, never answer my prayers. You've got to be kidding. I said, well, he did one lady just like you. I said, are you a mother? She said, yes, I am. I said, well, let me tell you about a mother in the Bible. She came to the Lord one day and she said, Lord, when you come in your kingdom, I want one of my sons to sit on your right hand, and I want the other son to sit on your left hand. Jesus looked at her and said, woman, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> now, it's not in the King James kidding. Here's what the King James said. He says, woman, you don't know what you're asking for. You have no idea what you've just asked for, for your son. God says no. And I've told you this a hundred times. You'll really appreciate that when you go back to your high school reunion on the 25th one and see some of the people you asked God to let you marry when you were in high school. I will guarantee you, you'll say, thank you, Father, for saying no. You're an awesome God. Lord, I didn't even recognize him. Now, if you're one of those people that run around all the time and you're saying, but God doesn't answer my prayer. I know I'm a Christian, but God doesn't answer my prayer. God answers prayer. All prayer God answers. Every single one of them. Some of the things you've been praying for for 20 years, you need to get off of it. It's no, 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 no. And it's going to be for the next 20 years. Now get on something else and something good might happen to you. 
But if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that God will keep his word, when he says, I hear you, I will answer you, I will show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not, he will do that, but he won't do it your way, he'll do it his way, and he's already told you my ways are higher than your ways. Number nine, do you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? When you're tempted, do you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit that becomes to protect you? The Holy Spirit begins to surround you, convict you, give courage to you, promise to go with you. Do you experience those kind of things? Or is the Holy Spirit some kind of a Holy Ghost kind of a thing that's way up here, and I don't know much about it, but all I know, all I know is that I just feel the Holy Ghost somewhere. What are you saying? Let me tell you how you can feel when you start getting convicted of sin. When you start getting encouraged when nobody else is encouraging you. When you see in the, the, the path laid out there and the doctor says, this is it and it's bad. And the Holy Spirit has a peace that passes understanding. You can say, like the writer of the scripture, if I live, I live in the Lord. If I die, I die in the Lord. Therefore, whether I live or whether I die, I'm the Lord. Anything God tells me is good news. Because I know he knows I'm here and he has my steps. They're ordained by him. It is so clear in the scripture Romans 8, 16, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There is something there. When it convicts, sometimes there's a need to make a decision. That decision is one that might be embarrassing. But it's something you feel convicted to do. Because that's the only way that you can get free as you want to be. First John 4, 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us his Holy Spirit. How anxious do you get? The Bible says be anxious in nothing. But in, everywhere, in every way by prayer and supplications, make your request be made known to, not, to, to God. Can you do that? Now, come on, can you do it? If you're a believer, you ought to be able to take your cares, knowing that he cares for you, and lay your burdens on him, wipe your eyes, and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be like Job. If you slay me, I'm going to trust you. Now, God, you know my heart. You hear that horrible diagnosis of terminal. Nothing is terminal until God says it's terminal. And by the way, that's just a transferring. Every funeral I've ever done, you've heard me say this. Don't you run around here saying, I lost my mother, I lost my daddy, I lost my child, I lost my husband, I lost my wife. Nothing is lost if you know where it is. Amen. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right. Now the question is very, very simple. Do you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? And then number 10. Watch this one. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to see Jesus? 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You looking forward to seeing Jesus? 
What if he comes at 2 o'clock on a Saturday night? Would you be glad to see him? How about on a Sunday morning when you ought to be at church and you've decided that, no, I'm just... Uh, don't you hope, back, back when we had services every Sunday night, I heard old evangelist say, I know a lot of you hope the Lord don't come back on Sunday night because he wouldn't catch you at church, you know. <laughs> you know, he'd catch you at home or whatever. Do you want to see him? Do you want to see him and say, I want to show you all the rewards I won in Sunday school and all that I won in training you and all that I won on Sunday morning. You know what I believe, if you're a real believer? When Jesus comes in, he's not going to get a standing ovation. We're going to fall on our face as if we were dead. Folks, it is extremely hard to get people to kneel any longer. It is extremely difficult for people to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. I promise you when the Lord comes back, the real believers, there'll be no three cheers for Jesus. Amen. We will fall on our face in great thanksgiving that he's come to get us out of this mess. Now, how did you do? I want you to go home and think about it. I'm going to leave you a quote. Before I give you this quote, we know all kinds of churches have all kinds of ways. There's one way Jesus developed and all other ways the church developed. Jesus said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to go across the spectrum because many churches develop their own plans. I want to read to you, not from a Baptist preacher, but from Bishop Raymond Lucker. This is in the U.S. Catholic magazine. We taught people for several years that you become Catholic by going through a series of instructions, through banding on a body of truth. We really didn't call them to conversion or to a change of heart. I really believe that one of the biggest problems of the church in this country is that we have many people who go to church but who have never been converted. A personal commitment to Jesus has never been an important thing to them. That's not my quote. That's not evangelical Protestant quote. That's from a Catholic bishop. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 8, 36, very clearly makes, makes that statement. In Romans 8, 2, in Christ, Jesus has made me free. Galatians 5, 1, Paul said, Christ has made us free. To know him is to be free. Are you sure you're sure? Do you know? The Bible is very clear in one other thing. It says most people will never come to that truth. Narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life, and few there are that will find it. Broad is the way that leads to eternal destruction, and many go therein. It scares me today when I hear the majority of people doing anything. I want to check real quick. Am I doing that? Because if I am, I probably ought to change. Because most people are not doing what Jesus asked us to do. 
They don't forgive as Jesus forgave, forgave. They don't have mercy like we have mercy. They don't fail to judge as Jesus did with a woman brought in adultery. They just jump on it like a frog on a June bug. You know, man, you're a sinner and you need to get right with God. And I'm going to make sure you get right with God. And they're sitting there thinking, if I've got to be like you to get right with God, count me out. That's their thought. But when Jesus saw a person that was like a Paul, the blind man, the demonic, the woman, the prostitute, what did he do? He had mercy on them. He said, I know what you're up against. The demons of hell are trying to destroy you. But my grace is sufficient, and my blood will cleanse from all sin. But if Jesus could walk in here and take one minute, he'd tell every single one of us, you get off all this trying to categorize yourself as to what your theology is and come back to the point that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by him. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself is a gift of God, lest any man should boast and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and say, I need Jesus in my life. And I'm never going to be a theologian but I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And if God says it, that settles it. Can you do that today? You have a chance right now. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just want you to think about what you've heard this morning. If I've said anything to you that's not backable by Scripture, I ask your forgiveness. One of these days, we're going to see Jesus face to face. Hear me. When the Father says, why should I let you into heaven? I don't have an answer for that that I, don't, I think he would accept. I think that Jesus will step in my place. He said, you don't have to worry about it. I'll speak for you. Father, you let him in because he's mine. I would fall on my face like a dead person if Jesus walked in here right now. And you would too if you're a believer. We never know what another day is going to bring. But oh, my friend, can't you for just a moment break out of that little box that you've built around yourself and those premeditated thoughts? And you've been hurt, you've been scarred, you've been wounded. And yes, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But today is the first day of the rest of your life. If you're real sincere today, about wanting to know that you know. Are you sure that you're sure? I've given you 10 things. I could give you some more. If you want to talk, we'll talk. But right now, I want to encourage you to go back to our Connection Center and talk to the folks that are there. Ask them any question you want to ask them. Nobody can make this decision for you. Nobody will stand up for you if you die without God and without hope. But if you die with Jesus in your life, Jesus will say to the Father, I bought him with my blood. I bought her with my blood. They're my heirs. They're your heirs. They're joint heirs with me. Just a simple prayer. Dear God, I've been so confused. One day I find myself wanting to do right, and the next day I find myself doing what everybody else does. I find myself even defending sin. And oh God, I am so sorry. Please come into my life. 
I confess my sin. I'm asking you to come in. Would you live in me through the Holy Spirit and give me victory over the devil in this life? And Father, when I stand before you, if I ever get up from falling on my face before you're kneeling, if I stand, it'll be because your son Jesus lifts me up and presents me to you. I want to be born again. I want to be saved. I want my past forgiven and forgotten. And I want to have victory in my life for whatever days I have left. And it's in Jesus' name I pray this sincere prayer. Amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.